Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Good evening. If you could please stand, we'll begin in prayer, Father Anthony. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for gathering us here this night, and we thank you for opening the doors of your church for us to, to come learn more about you and, and how to communicate with you and how to worship you in a way that is pleasing and brings glory to your name. Pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to see you tonight and to receive a message from you that you want to hand deliver to each one of us. We ask this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Amen. Amen. Our speaker this evening grew up in Virginia and earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Management Information Systems. Father Anthony has served in youth ministry for many years and now is headmaster of Little Flock Preschool and Good Shepherd Christian Academy. Uh, he has served as a priest at St. Mark Coptic Orthodox Church in Fairfax, Virginia since 2001 and has been serving as the leader of St. Timothy and St. Anthony Coptic Church since its inception in April 2012. His sermons to the young adults group at St. Mark's are attended by hundreds locally and globally via the internet. Father Anthony has been married to his wife, Marion, for over 11 years and they have two children, Michael and Lizzie. Please join me in welcoming Father Anthony Messa. Thank you very much. I love hearing my biography. It gets a little better every time I hear it there. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. So first of all, let me uh, start. First thing I got to do, all right? So I am Coptic Orthodox priest, and I've been Coptic Orthodox my whole life, but I went to Catholic school, all right? And I actually went to Catholic school in this area. I went to Our Lady of Good Counsel, all right, over in Vienna. Then I went to Bishop O'Connell for high school, all right? And then I went to UVA after that. But uh, so I've always felt that, uh, that we're, I have a lot more in common than we have different, okay? And then, and a lot of times, the, the one big difference, whenever anyone sees me outside, and then especially when I'm with my wife, and they say, hello, Father, and they kind of glare at her, and I always say, well, uh, Orthodox priest, we get married, okay? <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I want to say before I start is as someone who, like I said, I've always uh, I've had great admiration for the Catholic Church, especially from a young age, I think we should all congratulate ourselves and congratulate you guys on Pope Francis, okay? Because, yeah, that's, that's, uh, and I'll be honest, I am by nature a cynical person. That's, that's how I am. I'm a cynical person. So at the beginning, new Pope, and I say, okay, well, let's see. Like, let's, let's hold out the, uh, you know, the applause until there's a reason to, and then, you know, you see some stuff, and you're like, okay, you know, first hundred days in office, everyone is kind of on their best behavior, but I'll be honest, the more and more I read about him, like, he's been an inspiration for, for me. Thank you to God for sending us Pope Francis. I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm a fan. Okay, so I know the topic advertised was the Jesus Prayer. 
And I'm going to speak about the Jesus prayer in a little bit, but I wanted to take a step back and I wanted to kind of broaden the topic a little bit and talk about more about an orthodox view of prayer, all right? Of which the Jesus prayer is part, but it's, it's, I feel like it would be incomplete to, to talk about that one aspect without the whole picture. So I want to broaden the topic a little bit. I want to start you off with a story. It's a true story of which I know the participants in this story. True story about a group of missionaries in Africa. And they were serving in a very dangerous country at a time when um, there was like a civil war in the country. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy place to be, but they really, you know, they served God faithfully. And, and they were new to the country and they would have, you know, events at the church. You know, every Sunday they would invite people to come and visit the church and, and things like that. And people would, you know, kind of be roaming around. And they were always on their guard because they knew it was a dangerous place and thieves and, and, and hooligans and things like that. But by the same token, it's hard to be on guard and be at church at the same time. Okay, because we have to be welcoming. So anyway, so they're there in their, in their country and they're opening the doors and they're inviting people. And I guess some of the people they invited... When they were looking through the church, they saw some valuables over wherever it might be. Well, long story short, these hooligans show up one night, okay, in the middle of the night, and they rob the place while the missionaries were still there. And then when they saw the missionaries, they tied them up, all right, and they had, you know, their weapons, and they tied them up and kind of left them tied and the tape on their mouth and all this kind of stuff, and they just kind of left them there, and they ran off with all the stuff. Eventually, the missionaries were able to get themselves free, you know, whatever way they were able to get themselves free, and then they called the police. And then they kind of told the police what had happened, and the police were on their way, and when the police arrived, the police said, are these the four guys? So they said, yeah, those are the guys. And the police said, okay, well, we were just on our way, and we saw them running around screaming for help. So the police said, you know, we didn't know what was wrong. Maybe they'd been, they were drinking or what's going on. But so basically they confessed their sins. They were just kind of running around. And they kept saying that just tell the horsemen to leave us alone. Just tell the horsemen to leave us alone. So there was no horsemen around, so they were kind of confused. Anyway, get all the stuff back, return it. Everyone is safe and sound. Fast forward probably three days, four days, five days, somewhere around that time frame. Someone else... Here's this story. Like they go back to their home country and they share this story. And as they're sharing this story, a lady says, wait a minute, when did that happen? And they tell her on this day at this time. And then she looks at her three friends and they said, what time was that again? And they confirmed the time. And it was at that time that that lady somehow felt a calling or something, a pulling from God to pray for those missionaries. And she called up three of her friends, and they prayed together at that time for those missionaries. Who were the horsemen who were chasing the bandits? Was the prayers that were being offered in whatever country, city, far away. What we want to talk about tonight is we want to talk about prayer. And I don't want to talk about saying prayers. I want to talk about praying. I don't want to talk about attending prayers. I don't want to talk about reading books about prayer. I want to talk about prayer meetings. I want to talk about prayer. Prayer in its truest sense. Like I said, we in the Orthodox Church, we in the Orthodox Church, we pride ourselves more than anyone else on we don't change. On we are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
and that what we were from the first century, we are today. And that's what we always are saying, we're always, and for the most part, that's true in theory. But there's one glaring area, in my personal opinion, where the church of the first century, look in the book of Acts, from Acts 2 till the end, that first century church, those first three centuries, that golden era of Christianity, one glaring area where we today are different than them. And that one area, without a shadow of a doubt, is prayer. If you look at the way they were in the first century, the way their life of prayer was, like I said, today we preach about it more. Today we have more books about it. Today you can hear more sermons about it. You can attend more meetings that discuss it. But what we lack today is true prayer. The kind of prayer that really works miracles, like I said with my friends over there in Africa. If I were to take just a quick survey, just a show of hands survey, how many people, raise your hand, if you say that your prayer life could use a boost? Yeah, okay, everyone's got their hands up. Some people have two hands up. Okay, that's good. Okay. (laughs) Everyone had their hands up. Because prayer is one of those things that we all know here, but somehow it doesn't always translate here. Like, I'm the first one. Um, you come talk to me, you tell me your promise. Did you pray about that? And I can tell you all the reasons why you should pray. And I can bring my little kid, my five-year-old kid, and she'll tell you, no, you need to pray about that. And pray about that. And we all know it. But why is it, at least for me, let me, like, let me tell you about me, and you tell me if you're any different. For me, prayer is the hardest thing in the whole wide world. Tell me, read the Bible, I can read the Bible. Tell me, do service, I can do service. Tell me, go on a mission trip, I go on a mission trip. Do things in church, like attend church services all day, all night. Somehow, doing is a lot easier than praying. And I think it goes back to what Deacon Sabatino was saying. I think the TV is definitely one of the things that our attention spans are so low these days that I'll tell you how I pray. I'll tell you how my normal prayers start off and how they, how they finish up. I remember there was this one time I was particularly motivated about prayer. And I really wanted to pray. And I heard this sermon. This is back before I was married, before I was a priest. Heard this sermon about prayer, and I was just inspired. And I was young, and I was single, and I had no responsibilities, and I didn't care about anything. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pray. And I heard about people praying all night. I'm going to pray all night. I didn't even know what that meant, but I know I'm going to pray all night. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to like just pray. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray. So I get myself ready, and I stand up, and I start my prayers, and I'm firing away on prayers, and I'm praying for this, and I'm praying for that. And then after a while, look at my watch. 12 minutes. Okay. <laughs> And I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying for anything I can think of. Anything I can think of. And after a while, you're like, look at the little birdie. (laughs) Because our attention spans don't allow us to really pray the way we know we ought to pray. What the church needs today, what the church lacks today, is not money, is not buildings, is not better sermons, is not nicer refreshments outside. The reason if our churches are weak, the reason they are weak is because of the lack of prayer. If our homes are weak, if our ministry is weak, if our country is weak, it is because of lack of prayer. And we need to do something about that. What we're going to look at is a passage, if you have your Bibles, from Ephesians chapter 6. Okay? And I put it up on the screen as well, if you like. I didn't, wasn't sure who would have their Bible or not, but either way, whichever works for you. Ephesians chapter 6 is a famous chapter in the Bible. It talks about what? Subject. Spiritual warfare and especially the armor of God. All right. It talks about putting on the armor of this and the armor of that. We're going to talk about the spiritual armor and we're going to see the role of prayer within it. Look what it says. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So it's saying, use this weapon. Word of God is a weapon. Helmet is a weapon. And he's saying all these different things are weapons, 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 and you have all this repertoire. But then it says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. What is prayer for the armor of God? You know what prayer is? Prayer is the oil. If you have a car, you have many moving parts. You have a carburetor, you got a radiator, you got an engine, you got all kinds of stuff moving, and every one of them is very valuable. But if you don't have oil, none of it works. If you don't have oil, none of it works. Because oil makes everything work together. That's what prayer is. You know what the Bible is without prayer? Stories. It's stories if there's no prayer. You know what church is without prayer? An empty ritual. You know what? Anything, any service that you do in the church or outside the church without prayer? It's, uh, what's it called? Uh, humanitarianism. With prayer, armor of God. Without prayer, none of this stuff works properly. That's why I like this quote that I read in this book by a guy named William Gurnow. He said, we must not confide in the armor of God, but in the God of this armor. That's a nice quote. We don't put our trust in the armor of God, but in the God of the armor. Because all our weapons are only mighty through God. Meaning that it's not the weapons of God. It's the God of the weapons. And the connection between us and the God of the weapons is prayer. That's what we need. We need that kind of prayer. That's what all of our hearts yearn for, is that kind of prayer, deep prayer, fervent prayer, lively prayer, the prayer that, that, that moves mountains, the prayer that, that solves crises, the prayer that puts four invisible horsemen to chase down the bandits when you need it. Question that I have for you, and then we'll jump into some of the details. Question I have for you. Why is prayer so important? Why is it that prayer, like, why is it that God says prayer is the mechanism by which I work in the world? Why isn't it like acts? Like if I do good deeds, then that's the mechanism. Like if I do enough good deeds and yeah, I didn't pray and I don't pray that much, but I do good stuff. No, God says no. So you want to move mountains? Pray. He says that you want demons? Pray. Demons cast out? Not You want them. You want them cast out. Okay? Pray. You want miracles? Pray. Why is it that prayer is what does all the stuff? Well, here's the answer, and the most important answer that we need to understand, is that I don't know why it is that way, but that's just the way God made it. If I'm a soldier, and I have a gun, I don't need to know why pushing this button makes bullets fly. All I need to know is if I push, bullets start shooting around. I don't need to know the, the, the mechanics behind it. If I have this, this, this cute little machine right here, I don't have the faintest idea why when I push this button, someone over there can see something different. I don't know how it, it shoots over. I don't know how, but I don't even know how. All I need to know is God said, you want that to change? Push this button. You want miracles to happen in your life? 
pray, period. We don't need to understand how everything works because when we try to understand how everything, it's, of course it's good to understand, but my point is sometimes we trick ourselves into doing what we like to do and not what God says that we should do. And God says that we should pray. Let's go back to the early church. I'm going to come back to this passage from Ephesians chapter 6, all right? But I want to look at some passages from the early church, especially from Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is the story of when the deacons were chosen back in the early church. And again, I got it up on the screen for you in case you don't have your Bible handy. These guys knew the power of prayer. These guys knew the importance of prayer and the priority of prayer in their lives. Look what happens here. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their wives were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They were kind of distracted with so many different things that were going on. They said, You know what? We can't be distracted from our primary purpose and our primary mission. Okay, what's the primary mission? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They said that we can't do this. We need to be praying. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's time out one sec. I've served on several mission trips to Africa. All right? And every time we go on a mission trip to Africa, we always divide into teams. All right? And then maybe there's some team that's doing manual labor, some team that will like be the cooking team. You know, we kind of mix it up every day. And then there's always a, sometimes, you know, like a prayer team. Anytime it is the day of manual labor, where we're going to do manual labor, all of a sudden we have many volunteers for the prayer team. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys go. I'm going to be the prayer warrior. Everyone wants to be a prayer warrior. Is that what the disciples are doing right here? Like, okay, we need to clean the tables. Oh, yeah, I'll be praying for you. Is that what they were doing? Because it seems like that's what they were doing. But that isn't what they were doing. They knew the importance of prayer. And they knew that the mission that they had would never be accomplished unless prayer was central. Not something on the periphery. Not we do and then we pray when we get a chance. It's we pray and we do whenever we get a chance. See how that works? And that's why they said, look, we need to take care of all this other stuff so we can give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Where'd they learn this lesson from? They learned the lesson from Christ himself. Luke chapter 22, at the very end of his life, when Jesus was speaking with St. Peter. And he says, Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has asked for you. Satan is coming after you. Watch out, he's coming after you. But don't worry, why? But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Satan is coming, trying to take you down. He knows you have a big mission. What's the solution? Prayer. Prayer is the solution? Not run, not uh, uh, read, not uh, retreats, not meetings. No, no, no. Prayer. Prayer is the solution. Now what I want to talk about, if we agree on the importance of prayer, I feel like, you know the, the expression, failing to plan equals planning to fail. Right? Uh, okay, failing to plan equals planning to fail. Because if you aim for nothing, you will 
Hit it every time. Someone who says, okay, let's leave prayer aside right now, okay? Let's say I want to get in shape. I say, you know what? I need to knock a few pounds off of here. So I say, you know what? My goal is I'm going to be more healthy. And I write it down. Be more healthy. Likelihood of success. Zero, okay? You know why? Because 100% of the people in this room are trying to be more healthy. And I've been trying to be more healthy for the past 10 years of my life. And every year the scale says I'm more healthy in the wrong way. <laughs> be more healthy is the same as I need to pray more. I need to spend more time praying. And that's unfortunately what many of us do. We hear a sermon about prayer and we say, you know what? I need to pray more. We hear a sermon about like that, like that story I said about the people and the missionaries. We say, you know what? I should pray more. One of the beautiful things about the Orthodox Church, some churches are very good at form. Some churches are very good at spirit. Orthodoxy has always held a good balance between the two. Meaning that form without spirit is vain repetition. Spirit without form, it's self-focused, not God-focused. We need, like Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. We need to have a balance. We need the form. We also need the spirit. And that's why what I say is we don't need more prayers in this world. What we need is a life of prayer. The last thing I want is you to hear what I say and you to go home and say, you know what? I need to pray before I eat. I need to pray in the morning. I need to pray at night. That's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But what I'm saying is the goal is not an activity. The goal is a life. Again, that's, that's the orthodox concept. It's not say a prayer. It's live a life of prayer. It's not attend prayers. It's be praying without ceasing. And that's what we want to talk about right now, is how do we not do more prayers, but have a life of prayer? Three kind of pillars, okay, that the church teaches us to make sure that we are balanced between our form and our spirit and make sure that we have a plan for a life of prayer. And it's going to be based, we're going to look at Ephesians, that passage from Ephesians chapter 6 to kind of get some biblical basis for it. First component of a life of prayer is a consistent, disciplined prayer. Consistent, these are three aspects that you need to have. The first pillar is we should need to have consistent, disciplined prayer. St. Paul said in that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. How is it possible to pray always? Like, you ever think about that? Is it really possible? Like, St. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Like, is that possible, praying always? Or is that just one of those, like, exaggerations that the Bible just kind of, like, throws in there? Yeah, you know, like, um, be perfect. Mm, pray always. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of threw that one in there. I don't think so. I don't think that there's any exaggeration in the Word of God. Like, the Word of God is not like us. When I say, like, literally this was what happened. But really, it wasn't literally. When, when the Bible says always, it means always. And one of the things, and I wish I had brought my copy with me. I'm sorry, I totally forgot it, but I brought a picture of him. One of the things that the Orthodox Church has given us 
And most Orthodox churches have something, and I'm not sure, like, forgive me, the Catholic Church might have it, honestly, I don't know, is it gives us a book of prayer. And it's called the Book of the Hours. The Coptic word for it is the Egbeya. That's a Coptic word meaning literally of the hours. Okay, Catholic have a similar, okay? The Book of Hours was given to us so that we can pray always, that we can pray throughout the day. I wish, I wish that I had such fervency in my spirit that I could stand up at any moment in time and I could be lifted up to the highest heaven and I could just pray from the depth of my heart. I wish, but that ain't real. Because a lot of times on Monday morning, I don't want to get up and pray to nothing. <laughs> what the Egebeia, or the book of the hours does, is it gives us discipline and gives us consistency. It keeps us on track. The way it is, it's a book, it's a little, it's a book divided into seven hours. Like King David said in the Psalms, that seven times a day I praise you. So the church divided the day up into seven hours. And for each hour, there's a theme and there's a set of prayers. And the prayers always begin in the same way. There's a prayer of thanksgiving at the beginning. Starts, I'm sorry, with the Lord's Prayer, prayer of thanksgiving, Psalm 51, which is a psalm of repentance, and then selected psalms for that particular hour. So every hour has a theme. So the first hour, which corresponds to six o'clock in the morning, is the hour of resurrection. Why? Because it's the morning hour. That's when Christ rose early in the morning. So all the psalms are focused on the Lord is my light and my salvation because it's the light of the world who is risen. And then there'll be some psalms chosen about that. Third hour, which would be nine o'clock in the morning, corresponds to the descent of the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit descended on Pentecost, that's the third hour. Sixth hour, crucifixion. Ninth hour, death of our Lord Jesus Christ when he commended the Spirit. Eleventh hour, came down from the cross. Twelfth hour, burial. And then we have a midnight hour, which is divided into three separate parts, and that is focused on like watchfulness and vigilance. And if you pray all those hours, which I don't want you to think that the vast majority of people don't pray every hour. Like I don't, I, I don't pray every hour of it, all right? But if you were to pray them, then you could be praying all throughout your day. I'll tell you a funny story about that, about praying every hour. When I was a, a, a youngster, I wasn't always very close to God. I wasn't always very close to God. I was always, I always say I was, I was in church, but the church wasn't in me. You know what I mean? I was kind of there in body, but uh, not much else. And I remember when I kind of had my change in life, it was around my, my college years, between my third and my fourth year. And I remember discovering this Egbeya, this book of hours. And I remember I heard a sermon about it. And the priest said just something like I just said, that this is how you pray throughout the day. So I remember reading it and being like, oh my goodness, all these people are praying throughout the day. And I'm like, here I am, I'm an idiot. I'm only praying like in the morning and at night. I'm like way behind. <laughs> so I took that book back to college and I rearranged my entire schedule to pray every single one of those hours. And I was doing that for a good two or three months. And then I started to get more involved in church and I realized nobody else was doing that except me. <laughs> but honestly, God is my witness. That was the best. That's when they say ignorance is bliss. That was the best. I would rush back from class to say my prayer because I felt like I had to say my prayer. And once you put that expectation that everyone is doing it, it wasn't that hard. Once you put the expectation that nobody is doing it. <laughs> what the Egbeya does, what the Book of Hours does, oh, so I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't finish telling you. So it's the introduction with the Lord's Prayer, the Thanksgiving, the repentance, some Psalms, a gospel passage, and then some litanies, some prayers, 
Okay, and then, you know, some concluding prayers. And again, focused on that particular hour. What those prayers do is they keep you balanced. Because here's what I discovered in life. Some people, by their nature, are very good at like thankful prayers. Thank you, Lord, for this. And thank you, Lord, for that. And they're very thankful. They can thank God for everything under the sun. Some people are good at like repentance prayers. Forgive us, God. We have sinned, God. Does the repentance guy need to be thankful? Yes, because St. Paul commanded that we give thanks in all situations, all circumstances. Does the thankful guy need to be repentant? Yeah. If they only prayed on our own without something, my fear is the repentance guy would be repentant every day and he'd be very remorseful, guilty, depressed, miserable person. The thankful guy would always be on cloud nine. He wouldn't be on earth, but he'd always be in cloud nine. The book of hours keeps us balanced. It tells us, hey, you're good at thankfulness. Okay, that's good. But you need some repentance. And then you need some supplication. And then you need some intercessory prayer too. It keeps us balanced. Because if we don't have it, some of us are going to run off in this direction. Some are going to run off in that direction. And we're all going to be all over the place. Also, what fits into this consistent disciplined prayer is also the liturgy. Okay, the mass. Because when we come and we attend the prayers of the liturgy, we're not just coming to pray for my dog and my cat and my boss and my... Church is saying, okay, that's fine. You have those personal prayers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you need to pray for the peace of the world. You need to pray for those in authority over you. Pray for the President of the United States of America. You need to pray for the married couples. To pray for the singles. Like it keeps us balanced. Okay, you see how that works? What about vain repetition? This is one that if you are from a non-traditional church, a non-liturgical church, vain repetition. Jesus said, I hate those guys, they're vain repetition. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Does Jesus hate vain repetition? Yes, because he said it. Does Jesus hate repetition? No. No, he hates vain repetition. He didn't say he hates repetition. He said he hates vain repetition. And I hate vain repetition too. And you should hate it as well. But there's something between no repetition and vain repetition. There's spirit-filled repetition. See how that works? And that's what I always say. This is very important. Because in both of our traditions, in your tradition and in my tradition, remember how I said there's the form and then there's the spirit. The form, if you get too close to this side, you become legalistic, you become Pharisee, and you become not good. And there is a tendency, we as human beings, we like tangible things. So sometimes we inch over too much to this side, don't we? We inch over to this side. And we say, okay, well, I said my prayers. Okay, but did you pray? I'll never forget one time, I gave a sermon on this in church. One time God convicted me of this point, And he told me, you say many prayers, but I don't remember the last time you actually prayed. He said, you say many prayers. God, I lead people in prayer. Like, I lead prayers. He said, that's great, but you didn't pray. Vain repetition, God hates it. You should hate it as well. But repetition isn't bad. And what keeps the repetition from becoming vain is when we realize that the consistent prayer is a tool, it is not a cage. The church doesn't say, you have to pray this, and you have to pray this, and you have to pray this, and don't step outside this little box. The church says, look, here's a toolkit. Here's a toolbox. And in it, there's all kinds of good stuff. Use this 
and then use that. And then sometimes you may use a couple of these. Sometimes you may be lifted up in the spirit and you may read just that introduction and then you may continue and continue and continue and continue. Don't be tied down to the tool. It's just a tool. Don't be tied to the armor. Be tied to the God of the armor. For example, sometimes the God of the armor will tell you as you're standing praying, he says, shut that prayer book. Shut the prayer book. Shut that prayer book. You know why? Because if you bring your gift to the altar and your brother has something against you, you shut that prayer book and you go to your brother and you make reconciliation. We're not tied to the tool. We're tied to the God of the tool. You see how that works? Does that make sense? That's a very important point. All right. Vain repetition, bad. Repetition is not bad. Now the other side. For those who, who like the spirit but struggle with the form. All right, the form is hard. The form is difficult. There was a bishop in the Coptic church named Bishop Ioannis, meaning Bishop John. Okay, and he passed away. But he wrote many, many, many good books. And one of the things he wrote about is he said the value, he spoke about prayer. He said the value of prayer is not measured by the degree of comfort one receives from it, but by the amount of toil. What do you think about that? That sound about right? I talked about this, the form without the spirit. The spirit without the form. Well. I don't like to pray the structured prayer because I don't feel it. Imagine, back to my workout example. You only work out when you feel like working out. You only study for the exam when you feel like studying. You only brush your teeth when you feel like brushing your teeth. If my kid, if I allowed him to brush his teeth only when he felt like brushing his teeth, it wouldn't be a good situation. Nothing in life, if you leave it to when you feel like doing it, will be in a good situation. I don't feel like changing the oil in my car. I don't feel like getting gas. I don't feel, oh, that, that, that doesn't matter. There's certain things in life that we do despite the fact that we don't feel like doing it. That's the beauty of the prayer, the consistent prayer, is it helps you to pray when you don't feel like it. Because it's sometimes, like I said, for me, Sundays are a tiring day. They're an exhausting day. I get on Sunday night, I don't want to think about anything. I can't think about prayer. But I can open my prayer book and I can read. And sometimes that's the best prayer I can offer to God. But hey, you know what? That's not the ideal, but it's better than nothing. First aspect of prayer, discipline, consistent prayer. But doing the discipline and doing the consistency without the next point is worthless. And number two, intense prayer. Intense prayer. And this is where St. Paul says, being watchful to this end with perseverance. Who cares if I'm consistent, if, the, if I'm consistently bad? <laughs> Who cares if I say my entire prayer book three times a day, but there's not any ounce of fervor and feeling inside it? Again, we don't want to go to either extreme. We don't want to be married to our emotions and slave to emotions, but we also don't want to divorce ourselves from the emotions. Like God created us as emotional people. So we should just say we should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, time, money, emotions, will. Anything that you got should worship God. And we need our prayers to have a little life in them, have a little fire inside them. If you go into the word of God, where do you see Give me a visual picture of prayer. That was, prayer was at its peak, most intense. What picture do you draw? 
I, I say garden, okay? I heard garden. You go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did that look like an easy prayer? That's prayer. That's what our prayer, and again, I'm not saying every prayer you pray is going to be sweating blood. If it is, go to your doctor as soon as you can. <laughs> but my point is, there has to be some intensity in prayer. There has to be some fervor in prayer. There has to be some fighting in prayer, like Jacob wrestling with God in prayer. Again, it may not be every prayer, but there's got to be some of it in there. Because if there's no spirit inside it, then we're whitewashed tombs. And we have beautiful buildings and beautiful prayer books and beautiful, but on the inside, empty. We don't ever want that to be us. Quote here from Elizabeth Elliot. Do you guys know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Okay, she's a great lady whose husband, Jim Elliot was her husband's name? Jim Elliot, yeah. So he was a missionary and he got killed by the people that he ministered to, if I'm not mistaken. And she was fantastic. After her husband got killed, she continued to stay there and serve the people in the tribe who killed her husband. She was great. Fantastic. She said, this is nice, listen to this. People who ski, I suppose, are people who happen to like skiing, who have the time for skiing, who can afford to ski, and who are good at skiing. Makes sense. Recently, I found that I often treat prayer as though it were a sport like skiing. Something you do if you like it, if you do if you have spare time, something you do if you can't afford the trouble, something you do if you're good at it. But prayer isn't a sport, it's work. Prayer is no game. <coughs> Prayer is the opposite of leisure. It's something to be engaged in, not indulged in. It's a job you give priority to. It's performing when you have energy left for nothing else. What's that? That's intense prayer. We must remember, as someone over here said, that we are in a spiritual war. We are in a war. And the weapons of this warfare, you got an enemy who's firing all kinds of weapons at you. And you got to retaliate. And our number one weapon is prayer. Like I always think of prayer as darts. Because the enemy's firing fiery darts, I'm going to fire good darts. Some of our prayers are boom. You know what I mean? Intense prayers. Fiery prayers. And again, you may not always be have that, that energy and that, that gusto to do it, but there's got to be times where that prayer reaches another level. And this is where prayer is like, like Elizabeth Elliot said. It's a work. It's not a leisure. Change your way of looking at it. So we said first is that we need a disciplined prayer, form, structure, but then we also need intensity in prayer, spirit. And then the third component to prayer is we need strategic prayer. What do I mean by strategic prayer? The first two components we're talking about how to pray, when to pray. Strategic prayer is talking about what to pray. And we need to make sure that our prayers are in line with the heart of God. Look what St. Paul said back to that Ephesians 6 passage. He says, and for me, he's saying to, when he's saying praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and praying for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Oftentimes, most of our prayers are focused, I don't even want to say they're selfish. Like, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. They're not selfish, but they're self-focused. Meaning, we just kind of pray for our little immediate circle. My job, my kids, my wife, my car, my back, my knees. Like, my world. 
We just got to pray for our own little world. But St. Paul told these people, he's like, look, you people, I love you all. You're the best. You're in Ephesus. But you all need to pray for me where I am. And pray for me strategically. Why? That utterance may be given to me. That God would open a door. That I could speak boldly. The point that he's trying to say right here is, we need in our prayers, and this is again where the structured prayer is very good, to get past our own needs and to tie into the needs that God sees. What word was repeated twice here that St. Paul says, when you pray, pray for this? Boldly. The word boldly. That's why I bolded it, okay? <laughs> the early church, true Orthodox, Orthodox Christianity, true apostolic Christianity, and Catholic Christianity, because we say that we are a Catholic church, and you guys say that you're Orthodox and you're teaching. So we're the same, all right? So don't, don't, don't be tripped up by that. One holy Catholic apostolic Orthodox church is characterized by bold prayers, by true boldness in prayers, by prayers beyond my world, by prayers beyond my work, my school, my grades, my job, my 401k, my, beyond that stuff. True prayer, Christian prayer, Christ-like prayer, St. Paul teaching us to pray is prayer that goes beyond, and it's strategic. It's prayer that walls would be destroyed. It's prayers that demons would be cast out. It's prayer that utterance would be given, that people of God can speak boldly. It's prayer that the gospel would reach the ends of the earth, and that all the power of Satan, which Christ has promised that he gives us authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, every power of the enemy, that we would realize that authority and realize that power. It's much more than, please God, bless my day. It's much more than, please God, don't let me get, a, the cop who pulled me over, don't let me get a ticket. <laughs> I said in our prayer book, we take a lot from the Psalms. You know why? Because King David was the best at prayer. You know why? What made him better at prayer than me and you? What did God say about King David? A man after my heart. He said, this is a man after my heart. You want miracles in prayer? I promise you this. And it's not me promising, it's the word of God that promises. Pray for the stuff that is on the heart of God and you will find miracles in prayer. Our problem is why we don't realize answers to prayers because we pray for stuff on our heart, not on God's heart. And I'm not saying don't pray for stuff on your heart. I'm not saying that because Jesus said, that whatever it is, bring it to me. And St. Peter said, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. So I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, don't stop at just that. Where's the heart of God? Heart of God is praying for orphans. Heart of God is praying for widows. Heart of God is praying for single moms. Heart of God is praying, not just for the victims of terrorism, but for the terrorists themselves. Heart of God is praying for all the wicked people out there the people who abuse children, people who commit crimes like rape, people who commit crimes like abortion. That's the heart of God. Do we pray for those things? Do we care about those things? Or as long as life is okay, we're good. We live in our own little bubble. Just last week I was at a, uh, a conference in D.C. and I was talking about all the places in this world where Christians are persecuted. You have no idea. I went in there thinking that the Christians of Egypt are persecuted. 
I left there thinking that the Christians of Egypt, they got it good compared to so many other people. And they don't got it good. They got it horrible. But compared to so many places in this world, man, there is some, there's some tough stuff. But as long as we're in our little Northern Virginia bubble, then everything is okay. And we just pray for our little bubble. God, keep our bubble. And don't let anything from the outside sneak into our bubble. True prayer is after the heart of God. And that's why when you take that prayer book or you take the liturgical prayers or you take the prayers that have been passed on, like all those prayers that were given to us, and you pray those prayers that are on the heart of God, I promise you, you'll start to see more power in your prayers. As long as your prayers are limited, the results will be limited. But it's when you expand and go beyond yourself that you will see God doing true miracles in your life through prayer. Last thing I want to say is a life of prayer. I said in the beginning we don't need prayers. We need a life of prayer. A life of prayer takes commitment. And we need to be committed to prayer because all those things that I just said, they're not easy. They take a lot of work. But we need to be committed that there is no quick fixes for prayer. It's not like a A, B, C, and D formula and everything is solved in your life of prayer. If we are going to be people of prayer, people that are characterized by prayer, if our houses are going to be houses of prayer, if our churches are going to be churches of prayer, we need to be committed to it. There's going to be times we're feeling it and times when we're not. There'll be times where we're flowing in the Spirit and times where we can't think of anything. But we need to be committed to prayer because prayer is the lifeline. It's the connection between us and God. I'll leave you with two quotes. First, this quote from a guy named, what was his name? I didn't write down his name. It's okay, sorry. S.D. Gordon. Gordon. S.D. Gordon, very good. Who are the greatest people on this planet? Who are the most powerful? Who are the most influential? Here they are. The great people of the earth today are people who pray. I do not mean people who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer. That's all of us. But the great people... I mean those who take time and pray. They have not the time. It must be taken from something else. This something else is important. Very important, pressing, but still less important and less pressing than prayer. That's the commitment to prayer that we need. I have not the time, but I must make the time. And I must take that time from something else. Because if I want to be great, and I want to have an influence, and I want to have a stage upon which God can use me mightily. Like St. Paul used to always want to say, I want to go to Rome so that God can use me across the world. If you want to accomplish something great for God, or your church, or your home, or your family, or whatever, you must be people of prayer. And the last quote I'll leave you, from St. Anthony. Alright? St. Anthony said this, We calling on the name of Christ crucified chase away all the demons you fear as God. What is prayer? More than anything else, prayer is power. And when we have that prayer, I'm telling you, you walk into the church, church is not empty words, it's not empty rituals, it's life-giving, it's transformational. Why? Because of prayer. You have a spirit of prayer, you go to your work, and that boss is crazy, and is making you crazy, and is in your face, but you got that spirit of prayer, you have a peace about you, prayer transforms everything. Okay, my prayer for you and for me is that we would return back to that first century form of prayer and live the kind of prayer life that they had. All right, glory be to God forever. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you.
Father, come on, I'm not taking the questions. It's just up to you. Father Anthony, could you tell us what is the Jesus prayer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to apologize. That I, I know I didn't talk about the subject. I know. But here's, here's why. Here's, here's why. Okay, I'll answer your question. Okay. Here's why. Because I felt like the Jesus prayer is a very, very important subject, but I felt like by itself, it could be taken in the wrong kind of direction, okay? So that's why I felt like the complete life, and even they asked me to speak about the Jesus prayer, and I was like, well, you know, I'm not really an expert on it, so I, but yeah, I know I didn't mention it at all, okay? (laughs) So the Jesus prayer, okay, so there's a great book, and it's called The Way of the Pilgrim. Have you guys heard of that book? The Way of the Pilgrim, or a Pilgrim, The Way of of the Pilgrim. It's by a Russian monk, okay, if I'm not mistaken, who basically read that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, where St. Paul says, pray without ceasing. So he goes on, this book is his journey to discover what does it mean to pray without ceasing, and how does one really accomplish pray without ceasing. So he ends up with the idea, like he goes all around the world and asks all these people different questions with the Jesus prayer, and there's kind of different forms of it, but the base Jesus prayer is a prayer that he would utter over and over and over and over, and a lot of monks do, and a lot of people do, okay, Um, and it's just a way to keep in the spirit of prayer at all times, and it's this, my Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I remember this was one of the, that book, The Way of the Pilgrim, is one of the first spiritual books I read on prayer, and it is very helpful like, remember when I was saying about how I used to pray the hours when I was in college and I was kind of in that spiritual revival? I would take that Jesus prayer and I would pray it as I would walk to and from class, okay? So that's like a nice way that when you can't pray, it's not advisable to be with a book which is crossing the street and things like that. So there was a way that you could keep in the spirit. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, what do you suggest when you go to pray and you hit like a brick wall. Your, your mind is blank and you can't think of anything that the words don't flow. Mm. Okay, so let me tell you this. This is my personal theory on this. I believe you will definitely hit a ceiling and I believe everything good in life is on the other side of that ceiling. <laughs> I have this dumb analogy and forgive me, it's a very dumb analogy, so forgive me. When I was a kid, I grew up playing Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers, anyone? Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay. So, so it's no longer a dumb analogy. Now it's a very intelligent analogy. In Super Mario Brothers, okay, not to go into too much detail, but there was levels. Okay, so there was like level one, so it was 1-1, one 1-2, one, one 1-3, 1-4. And then after you beat 1-4, you go to 2-1. Two, 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 three, two, four. And at the end of the fours, like at the end, like at the end of one dash four, there was, okay, well, there was a particular bad guy whose name was Bowser. Very good. That guy, video game guy in the back. Very good. <laughs> Bowser was the dragon guy. You had to defeat Bowser in his castle. If you died in one four, you'd go back to one one. Okay. But if you beat, you beat Bowser and you got to 2-1 or 2-3, and then you died, you went back to 2-1, okay? I feel in a lot of ways, I know this is dumb, our spiritual life is the same way. I believe that prayer isn't hard at this level. 
Like we as human beings, we have a piece of God, it says in, in, in Ecclesiastes uh, 3, if I'm not mistaken, that he has placed eternity in our hearts. So we have a piece of God. We're made in God's image. There's a piece of us that wants to pray. But that's this prayer. This prayer isn't that much. Then we have to fight to get to this. And then we're good, we get to this. Then we hit the ceiling. And that's where the ceiling, we hit it, and we're like, no, we can't, we go back. And a lot of us live our whole life here. Okay? We pray when we want to. Okay, then it's like, ah, it's Holy Thursday, pray a little more. All right? Yeah, it's Good Friday, a little more. But then it's Easter, okay, back. <laughs> and we live our lives like this. But I'm telling you, if we can fight through this wall, this ceiling, and we can break through it. This is very difficult, but when you break through it, it opens to a new plane of living. And then that new plane will have its new challenges. Okay? And you'll have new, but you're moving forward. Okay? So my, my answer to you is, we will all face that ceiling, and you will inevitably face that ceiling, but that's when, when, the, when the spiritual, when the devil turns up the temperature, I'm going to turn up the temperature too. He turns up this, and I'm going to turn up this as well. And once this, and I'm gonna, like the enemy gets harder, I'm going to get stronger. So we have to view it that way. That prayer is not supposed to be easy. Think about it. Okay, another example is lifting weights. What do I do when it gets heavy? <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> like lifting weights when it's easy, that's, yeah. I mean, if you only lift it when it's easy, you, you won't really be accomplishing much. The point of the heavy lifting is that you lift something that you can't lift so you can become stronger so that you can lift it in the future. So my short answer to that is when you have that mindset, okay, and you know and you're expecting it to be hard and you go in knowing it's going to be hard and you face it and you're ready and then you attack it with the consistency, with the intensity and with the strategic kind of prayers, God will get you through. Um, how can we live the, the three strategies that you said, the intensity, the strategy and um, commitment in the Jesus prayer? Or like through the Jesus prayer? In the Jesus prayer, okay, so that gives you the consistency if, because the goal of it is to, to try to recite it as often as you can. So it gives you the words. Right? It gives you, remember how I said the spirit and the form? It gives you the spirit. It gives you like the structure. But then, I'm sorry, it gives you the form, not the spirit. It gives you the, 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 the structure, the consistency. But then on the intensity side, that's an internal thing. And how you would do that with any prayer, including the Jesus prayer, including the Lord's prayer as well, or the liturgical prayers, is you understand what it is that you're saying. You know in the early church, when they used to like baptize people, like their catechism classes, they would talk about two main things. They would talk about three main subjects. First was the Bible. They talked about the story of the gospel of salvation. Secondly, they spoke about the Our Father. And thirdly, they spoke about the Creed. And they did the creed before the Our Father. You know why? Yeah, the creed and then the Our Father. You know why the creed before the Our Father? Because you can't say Our Father until you say I believe. Okay? But my point is this, is that even with the prayer like the Our Father, they would spend weeks teaching people what the Our Father is and what each sentence in it means and meditating on it deeply. And when we understand, like you asked about the My Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, when you focus, and if you read that book, The Way of the Pilgrim, what, each word in there is specific, okay? My Lord Jesus Christ is like the first half. It's the focused on Him, that He's the Lord, that He's Jesus, He's the Savior, okay? And He's mine, not just the Lord, but my Lord. And then the have mercy on me, the sinner, is the focused on, like, the my need for salvation. So what I would say is you do 
but then you understand. You do, and then you understand. Okay? Um, in the way of the pilgrim and other things I've read, much is made of the criticality of, <clears throat> excuse me, a spiritual director when mm -hmm. doing the prayer. Um, could you address that? And I would just add that I found out the hard way that that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, in, in, you know, when you, in the case of the workout example, all right, anytime you get a workout, something or other, it says consult your physician, all right? Because I can stand here today and give everyone general advice. And I can say, like, for example, let's say I say um, milk is good for you. And that's true. That's a true statement. Milk is good for you. But you're lactose intolerant. And I don't know that. But your doctor knows that. So you need, hey, father, you need to go to your doctor and say, hey, my doctor, or my, uh, this guy who came on Sunday night said milk is good for me. Your doctor says, yeah, yeah, that applies to everyone else, but that doesn't apply to you. You need actually the opposite. So that's the importance of a spiritual director, is that some of us, hypothetically, let's say, for example, I'm sitting here and I'm self-righteous. And I feel like, you know what? I'm the man. I'm the most spiritual one in this room. And then I heard about this prayer thing. You know what? I'm going to pray this thing 25 hours a day. <laughs> you need a spiritual director to say, no, son, you, you, don't, you don't need to do that. Actually, there was a, a story in the, in the writings of the Desert Fathers about a righteous monk, a self-righteous monk, who came one day to his spiritual father. And it was during the time of Lent, and they used to pride themselves on how long they could abstain from food. Okay, and several of them would, would you know, go until the sun goes down, they wouldn't eat, you know what I mean? And this monk came to his father and said, Father, I think this Lent I'm going to fast, you know, all the way till 8 p.m., 9 p.m., something like that. The father said, no, you know what, you? You go till about 10, 10 in the morning, something like that. That's, that's about where you are spiritually. Why? Pride. Because he knew that he was lactose intolerant. And he knew that more acts of self-righteousness were detrimental to this guy. So that's the importance of a spiritual father. Okay? I say we need structured prayer. Some of you are very structured. So you actually don't need more structured prayer. You need less structured prayer. And you need to be more spiritual in your prayer. Some of you are very spiritual, but you're not structured. See what I'm saying? What balances me, okay, is marriage. Okay? Like I found, I found in, in like marriage, like me and my wife, let's say we complement each other well, okay? And she can learn from me and I can learn from her and we complete each other that way. So that's the importance of a spiritual father. Thank you very much, Father Anthony. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.